So this is the second part of our forever project. Our forever project had multiple facets. Uh, in small group life, we went through, um, we went through some marriage um, teachings, uh, and then we discussed them. Francis Chan and his beautiful wife had put together these little teaching pieces on video. Our small groups, uh, many of them went through that. And, and if you still want to connect with some small groups to do that, you can. You can check it out on our website, which small group might would fit you. And then also we took the Sundays services for the month of February and just kind of honed in on teaching us as single folks how to prepare for marriage, what, what that's going to look like as married folks, what we need to uh, be concentrated on, uh, biblical principles. And then we also interviewed different folks in our church, just get some of their thoughts, some of their advice. We've been posting online, so if you don't follow us, check us out online uh, in some of our social media venues. And, uh, and we've just been having this great discussion on how we can have marriages that last forever. Whether you're in your second or th maybe a third marriage going on or something like that, our forever starts now. Everybody say yes and amen. It starts now, right now. Even as a single person, I'm working on my forever right now because I am broken over how many marriages within the church are, are destroyed, how, ma how many divor divorces and things that have happened. So we want to be a church and we want to be a body of believers that work towards our forever and stay together through hardship, through trials and tribulations and difficulties. And so with that being said, that brought me to think about Boudreaux and Thibodeau and Clotilde and Marie for a second. <clears throat> After they had been married for about 20 years, Marie woke up in the middle of the night and she noticed that Boudreaux was steadily crying. He is outside of the bed, and he's out on the front porch just crying and crying. So she went out, and she found him sitting there on the front porch crying like a baby. And she walked up to him, and she said, What's the matter with you, Boudreaux, that you're out here in the middle of the night crying like a baby, all, all messed up like you are? And he said, You remember 20 years ago? He said, You remember when we was fooling around and we got caught? And you remember what your daddy said to us? He said to me, he said, Either you marry her or you're going to jail. You remember that? She said, Yeah, I remember that. He said, Well... <coughs> Today is the day I would have got out of jail right here. I have one even better. But I can't do the accident, sorry. Accident, sorry. Boudreaux had been missing for a couple of days, and Clotilde suggested to Marie that they should go to the sheriff's office and file a missing persons report. When they got there, Deputy Guidry at the desk asked for a description of Boudreaux for his report. Marie said, well, he's 25, 6 foot 3, 190 pounds, very well built, very handsome, and treats me like a queen. Clotilde looked at Marie and said, now Marie, you know Boudreaux's 50 years old, 5 foot 4, 260, ugly as sin, loud, obnoxious, and treats you like dirt. Why would you go lying to the deputy like that? Marie smiled and said, yeah, but if they find the other one, Boudreaux can stay lost. Come on, somebody. Turn to the person next to you and say forever. <laughs> uh, there's a few benefits to marriage uh, research has found. Give you a couple. Happily married, uh, ha happily wedded uh, patients who undergo major surgery are more than three times as likely to still be alive 15 years later than compared to their unmarried counterparts, says Kathleen King, a researcher from the University of Rochester. Those who are married, happily married, can go through a major surgery, and statistically, they actually survive those surgeries and, la and live longer than those who are without someone beside them in that. Health benefits, Harvard Medical School did some research, look what they found out. Married people are half as likely to die early compared to those who've never married. You say, I thought he was killing me this whole time. No, actually, it says you're going to live longer. 
Married folks are found to be up to 65% less likely to have a heart attack. And you just thought she was giving you a heart attack, bro. She's keeping you alive. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, marriage, this is, again, this is Harvard Medical School, uh, their research. Marriage has a dampening effect on, on cortisol responses to psychological stress. So you think you're stressing each other out, but actually it has a dampening effect and can therefore act as a buffer against stress. Being married actually can buffer against the stress that you and I overcome, uh, that we go through every day with our jobs, with everyday life. You think, no, she's the reason I'm stressed. He's the reason I'm stressed. Actually, being married gives you the opportunity to overcome the stress of this life because the Bible says it like this. The Bible already knew this. The Lord already knew it because he built it. He says, one cannot accomplish what two can. That's, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but the two, strength of the two is greater than the, double the strength of the one. If, in other words, if you can bench press 100 pounds, you and your spouse can pick up twice that much. More than what you could, if you could double that to 200 pounds by yourself, you can do even greater with a spouse beside you. And so with that being said, last week, if you weren't with us, go back and listen to the, to the message. Go back and view it on, on our YouTube channel. We, we talked about six destructive habits to your forever. And so today, to throw off all the OCD people, and because it's better in the constructive habit, we're doing seven constructive habits to your forever. Are you with me today? Say yes. yes. Come on, get your pad out, get your phone out, let's take some notes. Number one, the first and foremost best or the number one constructive habit towards, towards you forever is that those who, who are going to work towards your heaven believes the best of their spouse's intentions. Believes the best of their spouse's intentions. I was doing a lot of research over the last month over this topic for our marriages, for strengthening us as singles to be really prepared for a marriage. And I found this study uh, done by Shanti Feldhahn and her husband Jeff. They took 10 years, and they called themselves social researchers. And they interviewed over a 1,000 couples, th excuse me, thousands of couples. Uh, they did everything from uh, group settings uh, to uh, you know, church groups to people off the streets sitting at restaurants. And they, did, they, did this inter they interviewed these folks and to try to find what made them happy. Why did they have happy marriages and why did they have sad marriages? And they ended up writing a book with all their research study. They titled it um, Secrets to the Happiest Marriage. And they found, number one, by far, Without any of all the things that people said, the number one reason the marriages that were happy were happy is because of this point right here. They believe the best in their spouse's intentions. Yeah. You know, the Bible actually says that when it says it like this in 1 Corinthians 13 and 7. Look what it says. Love puts up with anything. This is from the message uh, translation. Trust God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. See, what happens sometimes in us is that we don't realize that we automatically think that she's out to get us. We automatically think, how stupid can he be that he would keep doing this? He's not listening to me. He does not have good intentions. He's, after to, he's trying to hurt me on purpose. They're doing it on purpose. And the happiest marriages and the strongest folks that live towards forever have already settled in their heart and mind. They're just stupid, ma'am. You can't help it. He's just dumb. And that his intentions are not to hurt you. He's just dumb. No, but they believe the best in their intentions. I love what Yolanda and Jamal Columbus, they've been, they're amazing leaders in our church. Give them a hand. And, uh, and so we interviewed. And this is, this is what uh, Yolanda said. She said, in April, we'll celebrate 20 years of marriage. Good job, Yolanda. Jamal, woo-woo. And in 20 years, there have been plenty of times uh, to get and hold offense. Early in my marriage, I heard a minister say, it's not your business how your husband treats you. Your business is how you treat him. God is not going to judge me based on what my hubby does or doesn't do. 
In other words, she has a revelation that, you know what, his intentions, good or bad or ugly, doesn't matter. God is good, and I'm going to love him in spite of how I feel right now or what I think right now. Friend, can I tell you something? If you can shift in your brain that your spouse is not out to get you, if you can believe the best in their intentions, I promise you, you can overcome anything. Do you want to speak anything? Well, the other day, somebody was asking, how do you handle the sermon illustrations that Pastor Adam tells about you? Like, I would be so embarrassed. And, and definitely, I've had to learn if there was one that I was like, please don't tell that. It's like really embarrassing. But years ago, I realized he wasn't getting up there intending to be embarrassing or, or to make, you know, to ex, to you know our you. family, our shame you, our kids too. Like, oh, dad's telling a story. But I knew that each and every time he got up here to communicate, it was because there was a reason and a point, and the goal was to empower and to believe in people. So when I knew that was the motive, it makes the, the what so much more tolerable. And so we've even encouraged each other it, through things. When you think someone's motive is wrong, back up and say, what could be a good motive in this moment? And by training ourselves to, to even rewrite a narrative with a positive motive, it actually um, allows that thing that they're doing to, it allows you to give them more grace in that situation. Uh, in 2012, the University of Maryland ass assistant professor, uh, Kirk Gray, did this study. He, he called it the study on good intentions. And he took scores and scores of people and, uh, and with their partner, whether it was a best friend, a spouse, whatever it may be, and he hooked one of them up to all of these wires to be able to monitor uh, stress level, pain level, and this kind of stuff. Then on the other side of them, hooked them up to an electrical current. And then told them in three different groups of people that behind, behind the curtain, your partner, your friend, your spouse is pushing the pain button, how much electricity is going to come towards you. To one group, he told them, hey, listen, they don't, they're doing it on purpose. They can't wait to see through the mirror how bad you're suffering, and they're just pumping that pain button like crazy. To another group, he told them, hey, listen, they accidentally hit the button. They didn't even know that they did it. And to another one, hey, listen, we told them if they hit the button and gave you a little bit of pain, that they could potentially win thousands of dollars. That's what he told them. It was the same electrical current for all three groups. It wasn't any higher or lower based on that. But based on what you thought the intention was, who do you believe experienced the most pain? It was the ones who thought they were doing it on purpose to laugh at them, to just give them pain. They were the same amount of current, oh, they're killing me, they're killing me. To the ones that thought, they're doing this so that you guys can have extra money this, this year and can win, win some type of lottery money. They were like, bring it on. I can take this. This is awesome. <laughs> and to the ones that they said, listen, they don't even know they're doing it. They're accidentally bumping into it. They were like, it's okay, baby. I know you don't mean to hurt me. It's no pain at all. So good. All about good intentions. They proved it. Yeah. See, if you believe the best in someone, if you believe their intentions are not to harm you, but they love you, if you can shift that in your brain, and like Yolanda say, listen, even if they mess up, that's between them and God. I'm going to do my best to keep loving and keep believing. If you can come to that place, I promise you, you'll have a forever marriage. Isn't that good? Say yes. All right, number two. Point number two, invest in your spouse's dreams. Dustin and Dorothy and Downhour said this, and I love this quote. When you invest in your spouse's dreams, you are helping them reach their potential. You are saying that I believe in you. You are worthy, and you were made for this. 
I love that. And if you've been around Dustin or Dorothy, both of them do that for each other. It's so beautiful to see. They're always saying, you've got this. I believe in you. You know, it's, um, it was talking to another couple this week, and, and he's the head of an IT startup. Very risky business. But every time he would have an idea, his wife would turn to him and say, you got this, baby. You can do this. And you could see him like, yes, I can. I can do this. I can take that risk because she was believing in and investing in his dreams. It's so very important. When both parties focus on each other and focus on the other, selfishness begins to lose its power. When we begin to say, how can I get you to the places that you want? And how can I see your dream become a reality? Then all of a sudden, the, the small things just, they all work themselves out, don't they? And you have to learn to communicate your dreams. You can't just assume that your spouse gets it, that they know what you're believing for, what you're dreaming for. You have to learn to communicate that. And that's where the breakdown many times comes. It's because you feel like he's getting all of the attention in our marriage. Or hey, we're living his dream out. Or she's the one that gets it all. And I'm just serving her. And just, but when you communicate, both sets of you, both of you communicate, hey, this is what I dream about. And how can we make that successful? How can we help each other get to the things that God's called us to do? And I can think you can listen even behind the first thing. Well, I would like to do this thing. You're like, that's a $300,000 project. We're not going to do that right now. But what are they saying? I want to do something significant in life. I want to invest in people. I want to make things happen. Listen to their dreams and, and before just maybe shutting them down or clicking over to the logistics of why that's not a, a good idea right here in yeah, that and moment. And we would say don't belittle their dream just because you don't have the same value for it. That's a breakdown. So I don't, that's stupid. Like, we can't do that. Don't belittle their dream just because you don't see the value in it. It's their dream, and you're their partner, and let's see those dreams come to pass. In fact, I would help some of you, especially men, you need to understand, your spouse is dreaming right now. She is dreaming about getting to come next Friday night to the church's date night on February 21st. She's dreaming about that and saying, oh, to hang out with other Christian couples and have a fun meal together and be around good Christian people up in there. She's dreaming about that. She's hoping that you'll go online right now and register for that. Just throwing that in there. Go ahead and read. Caddy and Isabel Villarreal said they've been married for 30 years. They are so amazing. Guys, they married as teenagers. They are, their story is incredible. Um, Isabel said this, in the 30 years we've been married, we've learned that the more we do together, the stronger our relationship has been. I've taken interest in his hobbies, not because I like them, but because I love him. Caddy loves to go four-wheeling, and me, not so much. But because I know how much it means to him, I've learned to like it. Isn't that amazing? It's so powerful. incredible. It is. Yeah, 30 years, and they just had a new baby. <laughs> they got a brand new one, and they are amazing. When they got pregnant, they went, what just happened? Anyway, it's awesome. Point number three, we're on, we're on our seven constructive habits to your forever. Uh, here's the third habit, and that is they fight, or we fights for intimacy. Fights for intimacy. Uh, now, we're in church, so I'm going to use the word intimacy. I'm also talking about sexuality, our sex life. And uh, I want to point out a couple of thoughts. First and foremost, uh, intimacy, sexuality, uh, God created that. Okay, so let me give you a couple of purposes that God created sex for. All right, number one, procreation. He told, he told Adam and Eve, multiply, make babies. He told, that, that's why he gave us that ability. God himself created sex. He created intimacy, if you will. It was him. And here's a second purpose, biblical purpose that we see, and that is for bonding. And I love what, uh, what Mark Gunger, the, uh, the Christian counselor and, and pastor and, and, and speaker said, he said, sex is the only intimate thing you can do with just your spouse. 
If you consider intimacy praying with people, you can do that with just about anybody. But you can't have sex with just anybody. That's what God created, to bond a male and a female, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And we see that the Bible, um, that sex played a key role in bonding. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, we see that David, King David, lost his son. And he went into a period of grieving. Where back then, that biblical grieving was like sackcloth and ashes. And he mourned and he fasted and he prayed. And he believed God before his son passed. And after his son passed, and he came out of his time of grieving, the Bible says, and he went to his wife. That's translation for they were intimate together because God created intimacy to be a time, both physical intimacy, spiritual soul intimacy, where there is a repairing of your soul and a literal, literal connectivity in that moment. And so even if you say, but that's the point, I don't feel connected. I don't feel intimate. Literally, it's, it's, it's proven that as you begin to, to seek intimacy with your spouse, that, that the Lord Jesus literally begins to bond you in those moments. Yes, so procreation. Number two, bond. And number three, enjoyment. There's an entire book called Song of Solomon. And if, if you, you didn't know that, ask any kid that went to Christian school and yeah, had to take go, Bible right class because they would Song sneak of... over to the Song of Solomon <laughs> chapter, right? And so when it comes to sex and intimacy, if it's broken in your marriage, let me just say this to you. Go to the one who, who created it to help you fix it. Stop getting on YouTube trying to figure out how to yeah, fix it. Good. That's your problem right there. InStyle Magazine cannot yeah. fix your sex life. Yeah, yeah. Stop reading the, the romance novels to try to fi fix it. Go to God. Say, Lord, we need help. We don't we, we're, we're not intimate anymore. We're struggling uh, in our sex life. We just, it's, not, it's not working. We need help. Go to the Lord, and I promise you, the Lord will give you insight. He'll give you understanding because the Lord says clearly in his if you ask, you shall receive. If you knock, the door will be made open to you. He'll give you insight on how to, on how to fix some of those things. So intimacy has some in enemies. I want you to just jot these down. I'm not going to put them on the screen it's called so much. your kids. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the first one. There you go. So intimacy has some enemies. First and foremost, I've seen schedules and overcommitment yeah. is an enemy to your intimacy. I mean, I know couples, even in this church, he's working nights, she's working days. They're like ships passing in the night. I mean, they have, uh, they're, they're, they, and they'll tell me, we haven't been intimate in like three months. I'm like, oh my God, that's tough. There's a bonding that's not happening. There's an enjoyment that God put in place that's not happening. You're not having that because these enemies have gotten in the way. A major life change can be, can be an enemy, and you have to kind of work through that. Uh, your past, uh, soul ties. Let me explain to you soul ties real brief. You can learn more about it with us in our encounters. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16, we'll put that on the screen. It says, do you not know that a man who joins himself to a woman who sells the use of her body, a prostitute, becomes a part of her? The holy writing says the two will become one. What, what, what Paul is teaching us in Corinthians is that, is that when you connect with somebody sexually, there's, there's a soul tie. Your, your soul becomes tied. And some of you, because you had many uh, or, or multiple sexual partners in the past, there's still some ties to that. And that is an enemy to your present marriage or your, or your present situation. And, and so you still, you're fighting some things in your mind. You're fighting some things in your heart. There's these soul ties. And I would highly suggest to you, I know pastors don't preach on it, but we do. I would highly suggest to you that you get on your face and say, God, I break from so-and-so. Uh, uh, from I break from that experience that we had. The enjoyment that my brain keeps going back to that I had 15 years ago with them. 
or the, or the wayward uh, relationship that I had when I cheated on my spouse and that, that forbidden fruit feeling. And ooh, I break that in Jesus' name. I'm not committed to that. I have no power. That has no power over me. I, I break from them. I don't want a part of that. Wash me and make me new, Lord God. And may this marriage, may this sexual relationship be pure and holy and undefiled and nothing get in that. Break those soul ties. Amen. And if you're scared, you need more help, get with our pastors, come to our encounter, we'll help break those things with you. Aren't they, isn't that good? Say yes. And then another enemy of, of our intimacy is shame. And some of you are still carrying shame because what you've done, what, your failure, there's some things because you were, you, were, you were, you know, addicted to porn and things like that. In fact, Dr. Samuel Perry, we'll come back to you, and Dr. Cyrus Shelford said it like this from the University of Oklahoma, the likelihood of divorce roughly doubles for men and women who engage in pornography. It doubles. In fact, one research that we found, it's, one of the, it, it's in the top three things of 50% of marriages that are divorcing, they, they connect porn to, to part of that process of why they're getting a divorce. 50% of marriages that are divorcing. And the reason that is, is because, as we quoted out of Corinthians, because you're letting someone into a space that's only supposed to be for you and your spouse. It's supposed to be intimacy. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be protected. Can you imagine the insecurity that she would feel as I'm still kind of thinking about other women and engaging in porn. Can you imagine the insecurity if I knew she was sexting with some other man that would create and literally destroy the bond that our sexuality is supposed to bring us in tighter because no one else is supposed to be in this space but her and I, nobody else. Do you want to speak to that? And I think, too, when you go back to the shame topic, you know, Men, maybe when you married your spouse, she didn't feel any shame about what she, who she was or what she looked like. Maybe she was like, pass the bikini, I look good, right? But as life goes on and as society tells her that she's aging and different things like that, you hold the tool to continue to invest so back good. into her beauty. And you may say to her, you know, you're fine. But she may hear, you're fine, you'll do. You'll do for what I need. But you have to continue to invest and continue to invest until the word fine means you fine, right? <laughs> That's what she needs to hear. And if she doesn't hear it, go say, I tried, I tried. No, invest, invest, invest in your spouse. Both of us, as we invest in our spouses, they become the person they're created to be. Amen? And that's why we say that intimacy is directly connected to our value tank. So keep speaking to that. There's such a key bond, both for men and women, in different ways, in how intimacy builds value in them. And, it, and when you, if you don't necessarily see or feel the responsiveness that you would like, it means that it's time to build more value and pour more value. For, for that, that can happen in romance. We've all just come through Valentine's Day, right? That moment where you invest value and you tell the world how valuable your spouse is to them. But that can come in everyday life, in doing the little tiny things that say, you matter to me. You're, you seem overwhelmed. Let me help. Let me invest value in you. Um, husbands, if, if you don't see the responsiveness you want, find out how to continue to invest value. And, and then just by being intimate, ladies, that brings value to your spouse and bonds you together in ways that God ordained. Amen. Jamie taught me this. What is romance? I'm not, I'm not like suave. You know, I don't have a Latin background. <laughs> and I'm like, let's take the world by storm. Come on, baby girl. Let's charge the, the, the demonic forces. And so I'm not really that romantic, if you will. I don't really, you know, it's just like, it's impractical to me. It's like, you know, what's well, we're taking all this time to do what, you know? And so, and so Jamie had to teach me what romance really, romance is not so much about trying to be suave, fellas. It's, it's, it's about little gestures. It's about holding her hand in the parking lot when we're going to the car. It's about 
making her sit in the front seat until I walk around and open the door. It's about, it's about acknowledging her in a room where people are talking and hanging out and, hey, have you met my wife? It's these little pieces that stack up throughout the day. It's a sweet text. It doesn't have to be a, 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 you know, a, a sexual text, it, a sweet text. It's these things that, that, that are romantic to her. And I, I, so she's taught me what her romantic tank needed. And so learn it, fellas. Your wife may be different. She may be like, I don't need all that. Let's get it on. Let's go. I don't know what your wife is like. I don't know. I told him a Coke Zero from Sonic, and I'm yours. That's all it takes. It's really simple. Let me make this easy. Coke Zero from Sonic. Point number four, give your spouse room to grow. How silly would it be if you bought a sapling tree and you put it in your yard and then you went and yelled at it every day because it wasn't the mighty oak that you expected it to be? That's so good. It doesn't do anything. You have to give nurturement you have to give you have to nurture you have to pour into and you have to give time and space for the people in your life to grow because they i know they told you they were perfect before you married them and i know that not long after you realized otherwise but then they can be the people that you believe them to be if you will give them the time and space to go, grow stephen and alan tune stephen and tune allen you saw their pictures up earlier precious couple in our church they said this we have learned that we need to allow grace for each of us to continue to grow we understood that when we got married, we were still both growing in leadership as people, as spouses, and in our relationship with Jesus. Come on, can we give them a hand? That's powerful. They're a beautiful couple. I think they've been married like 30-something years, 40 Ephesians years. Ephesians 4.2 says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. The grace, the time, the patience that people need, people will, your spouse and the people around you will flourish in an environment of life and of positivity. Here's point number five, write this in, and we're, again, we're in the seven uh, habits, constructive habits to build towards you forever, and that is, you're going to like this one. Number five, it chooses to cheat. Let it settle. Ooh, what's he saying? Mm. There was a book years ago by Andy Stanley called Choosing to Cheat. So I'm not telling you that you're going to have a happy marriage, you need to cheat on your spouse, just the opposite. What I'm teaching you is this. In this book, Choosing to Cheat, Andy pointed out that every one of us have just so much space in our life to be good at something. But because we now live in a social media-driven society, we're trying to be great at everything. And because of that, we're stressing ourselves out and destroying the relationship that means the most to us. And so I use this as a play on words, choosing to cheat, obviously never to cheat on our spouse, but learning together that we're going to cheat something. For example, I, you can tell what I cheat. <clears throat> you can tell what I cheat. I, 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 I try to eat healthy and I, I work out sometimes, but I have chosen there's some more values in my life that I'm fighting really hard for. And so you say, well, well, you should just do better at your health. I can't be great at everything. So you need to pick what you want to be great at in your marriage and just say, we're going to be great at this. This is what we're going to be great at. Church on the Hill, we wanted to be great at small groups. And so people come here and they're like, well, we don't want small groups. We want a ministry for this and a ministry for that. Great. There's 10 churches down the street to do that well. That's not us. What we want to be great at is small group life. And anyone who gets connected in small group life, it changes their life forever. Yeah. Anyone. Because anyway, that's what we want to be great at. And so you literally have to choose. And you need to stop overcommitting to everything. Especially you younger guys. You, know, you just think you can be great at everything. You cannot. 
There's not enough time in, the, in, in your life. There's not enough space in your world to be great at everything. So pick it, own it, and just say, hey, as a couple, we want to be really good at that, this, and we're going we're gonna to just choose that we're not going to be so good at that. That's okay. We're going to be decent, but we won't be at the best at that. And literally, pick your points of what we're going to be great at. We're going to be great at this. We're going to work so hard for this. And the rest of it, you know what? We're just not going to be so good at. Years ago, I've told this story a million times, but it's mine, so I'm going to tell it again. I, was, I had this opportunity. Uh, the church I worked for, uh, we did a day of counseling per pastor. So every day, uh, you could walk into our counseling center, and one of the counselors, uh, one of the pastors on staff was counseling that day. And my day was Tuesday, and, and I had this, I was 19 years old when they first hired me on staff. So I'll never forget when my first Tuesday counseling day came. I was sitting in the big room waiting for someone to show up, and the, and the secretary called over and said, Pastor Adam, there's a couple here wanting to meet with somebody. I said, oh, I'll be right out. I went running out. You know, I'm 19 years years old and so can you 120 pounds I look like Opie I mean I was this little little thing and, and here's this couple in their mid-40s I mean she's a little white lady all blinged out all perfectly put together I mean he's super handsome and buffed and all this kind of stuff and I walk up and they said I said hey uh, can I help you and they said yeah we're looking to speak to the pastor and I said, uh, well, our pastor, you know, is not available. And so I'm available today for any kind of needs you might would have. And he looked at her like, I told you this was stupid. And she looked at him like, you got to be kidding me. And then looked at me like, how did we end up with this deal? And so, but she's so desperate. She goes, well, let's try this little guy. Let's see if he can help us. And we go in the back and I sit him down and I'm sitting across the big desk, you know, got my giant Bible open, ready to give him the words from God. And, uh, and so she, uh, so I asked him, I said, what seems to be the problem? And she looks at him. The pastor wants to know what's the problem. Tell him what the problem is. And he's just got this dumb look across his face. And she kept, did you hear the pastor? The pastor wants to say, what's the problem? Tell pastor the problem. And after a couple minutes, he just went, he went, man, to be honest, I have no idea what the problem is. And this well put together, wealthy white woman went completely ghetto. She jumped up. She goes, exactly. That is the problem. He don't even know what the problem is. Tell the pastor. Tell the pastor how you don't even want to go to church anymore. Tell the pastor how we ain't even had sex in like two years. Tell the pastor how you did this and you don't even come home. And all you want to do is hang out with your friends and how you worked the second job we didn't even need. So da, da, da. tell the pastor that. And man, in the midst of her yelling like that, he stands up and he goes, exactly. He said, would you want to go home to that? I was like, duh, bro, don't put me in on this. One. I ain't. I ain't. I'm sitting there, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I'm trying to find scripture. And he said, let me tell you something, yeah, yeah, I don't want to go to church, yeah, I don't want to be with you, yeah. And he said, but you know why? He said, look at you. He said, wait, you see that big diamond ring? Who pays for that? I pay for that. I worked two jobs just so you could have that, and you didn't want your kids in normal school. No, we had to put them in private school. Who pays for that? I pay for that. And see that BMW key? Who pays for that? I pay. Yes, I work two jobs, and yes, I'm tired and exhausted, and yes, I want to just go hang out with my friends instead of come home, and you can go la 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 at me all the time. And that big old house that we had to have? Who pays for that? I pay for that, and I'll never forget. She took the ring off. She threw it on the ground. She said, I never wanted all this. All I wanted was you. I liked it better when we had nothing. We lived in a little apartment and we had each other. Now I ain't got you. I don't want all this. And he froze and she froze. I'm looking at him like, bro, that's all she wants is you. And he grabbed her. He said, I, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. And they fell down on the ground and they started repenting and crying and hugging each other. And I'm just sitting there like, wow. And then they got back up and, and they sat in the chairs and I said, Praise the Lord. And they looked at me and they said, thank you. 
thank you. You've saved us. I was like, amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. They got up, walked out. They had a revelation. You know what it was? They had all these things that they were trying to be so good at that they lost each other. Choose what you're not going to be good at. I called it choosing to cheat so you'll never forget it. You'll never forget it. We're going to cheat this. We're not going to be great at that, but we're going to be great at us. Isn't that good? Somebody say yes. Amen. Number six. Number six, pray for your spouse every day. You know, we didn't say pray with your spouse because then that turns into this task many times if you're not careful. And then she says, you didn't pray with me today. Pastor said, you're supposed to pray with me. You didn't pray with me. But praying for your spouse, you can do that anywhere, anytime. I love this. We were with Papa Mimi this week, and Mimi said, she said, uh, she said, did we write it down exactly? Sorry. Mimi said, Pop prays over me every single night. She said, it's a little or a lot, but before I go to bed every night, Pop prays over me. And I just love that so much. I thought it was so beautiful. We love Mimi and Pop and their investment. You're so amazing. Psalms 112, Psalms 112 um, is a prayer, husbands, wives, that you could pray over your spouse. You could insert uh, their name, uh, who they are. I'll just give you a little sampling of it, the first five verses. Uh, Blessed is my wife because she fears the Lord. She'll find great delight in his commands. Her children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in her house, and her righteousness endures forever. Even darkness lights dawn for, uh, light, uh, light dawns for her because she's gracious and compassionate, and she's a righteous woman. Good will come to her because she's generous and she lends freely. She conducts her affairs with justice. That could be a prayer sampling that you could pray over your spouse. I'm not real comfortable. I'm not really sure how to pray. I, I, it doesn't matter. The marriages that are the strongest, and we, out, out of all the folks that we interviewed here in our own church, every one of them at some point, and what they told us they did well, or what they were strong at, or why they felt like their marriage was strong, every one of them had prayer connected to it. There's something supernatural about praying with each other, praying for each other. In fact, men, I would teach you like this. Your prayer time over your spouse needs to be literally a covering of your spouse. Lord, I cover her from the demonic forces that are trying to hurt her, hurt her, hurt her. I, I cover her from the lies that I don't really love her. I cover her against the wolf attack of the demonic forces. Think like that. Wives, I would encourage you to, your prayers need to look something like this. Lord, I lift up my spouse. Stand up under him. I, I, I push him forward into greatness. And, and make that some of the shifts of your concepts. And I'd say it like this when it comes to praying for your spouse. Uh, pray with them. Uh, pray beside them, pray over them, pray near them, pray over them, pray beside them, pray, 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 because we know that prayer changes things, amen? I promise you, if you've got anger in your heart to, towards somebody, start praying for them every day and see what happens. Within a matter, I, mean, I don't never forget the person who deeply wounded Jamie and I, a minister who just did us dirty, I mean, and my, my, oh, my starting, and I, and I remember the Lord teaching me to pray over them, and the first thing I started praying, Lord, expose them. Lord, let the world know, they hypocrites. Lord, that was my first week. By about the second week, the Lord had been working on me as I was praying over him. Lord, I just pray, Lord God, that, not that you expose them, because we don't want people destroyed, but Lord God, that you'd fix them. And by the end of it, this is what I was praying. Lord, bless them. Promote them, Lord God. Push them forward into greatness, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you that you saw me valuable enough to go through hardship through their humanity. Because you knew that, Lord God, I would not destroy the work of God because of the humanity side of them. That's how it shifted, I promise you, if you'll start praying. Isn't that good? Say yes. Come on. Here's our last one, number seven. And that is, <clears throat> lives a shared purpose. 
This is, if you will, of the seven constructive habits. Those couples that have these constructive habits, one of the, the number seven habit is that they live with a shared purpose. Why don't you speak to that for a second? Absolutely. Yeah. I popped open a magazine this week and it was like, would you like to start a dog loving business with your spouse? Well, I immediately thought, yes, but he wouldn't go for that. But what it was literally marketing in a, in a top magazine that when you do something that you love with your spouse, you're happy and successful. And that had, it wasn't even a biblical thing in that moment, but it was just a principle. And when a, when, when a husband and wife can find something that they love together and agree on together, it bonds them and it gets them through things. Um, and I'm about to call so I can't talk. <laughs> so Jamie and I, years ago, even before we were married, as we were dating, we found our shared purpose. And our shared purpose was to bring the gospel to hurting people all over the world to make disciples of men and women who did not know how to serve God, which is what the Bible commands us to do. And so for us, ministry is not what we do for an income or for a profession. It's a calling. It's a purpose for us. And so even if we didn't have the finances or the resources uh, from the church, we would still make disciples. We'd be fa faithful in a local church, and we would, we would help those pastors, those leaders make disciples. We'd help win the loss. It'd be what we do because it is our shared purpose, and you have to find that and work towards it, and it's been one of the strengths of our life. One of the um, actors that I've followed before, for no particular reason, would happen to be Hugh Jackman. Just saying. And so I was interested to know. And I follow Farrah Fawcett from the 80s. <laughs> Anyway, I won't say who got closer in looks. <laughs> Kidding. I'm married up, that's for sure. Hugh Jackman and his wife, Deborah Lee, have been married for over 20 years. They met, because you think, who can stay, who would Hugh Jackman stay married to, right? You look at people like this in Hollywood, you read the stories, you see the divorce rate, and then you see couples that have made it, and you wonder why. They met with a shared purpose. They were both actors together. And that, that love for acting is how they met. But that love for acting isn't what sustained them. What sustained them was actually a love for children that had been unseen and unloved. And when they found out they couldn't have kids themselves, they begin to adopt. And they begin to set up foundations and organizations to reach children and to help children. And they say that is the number one thing that has kept them together through the ups and the downs and the hard times and the good times. Finding that shared purpose, whatever that is, whatever it is for that season, because those are what bond you through the seasons and through the times together. When Jamie and I were first married, one of the couples that we were close with, um, they, um, they kind of met in youth group and, and thought they wanted to get married. They were attracted, you know, physically to one another, and, and the, they didn't want to be single. You know, you get to that moment at some point in your life, I don't want to be single, I'll just, I'll do whatever I have to do. Well, in the process of that, they pushed forward a marriage without even considering if they wanted to share purpose. And the husband had this dream of being a minister, and the wife was like, that's not happening. And so, uh, but he was already in ministry, he took a position, and she dated him through that time of taking that position at a church and, and being a minister. And then they got married, and she moved to be with him and be in ministry with him. Within a year, she said, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't want you. I don't want Jesus. I don't want ministry, and left him and abandoned him. And so the point being is that shared purpose is one of the key factors to having our forever. What's your shared purpose? What, do you, what has God called you to, the two of you to do together? 
What, for those of you that are single, look for that in a person. It doesn't matter if they're the best-looking person. You don't, you don't need arm candy, bro, sweet love. He might be fine right now, but he could be an angry individual. What you want is a person who's going to serve God with you together. It doesn't have to be this big, broad thing. It can be something very sweet and special. So when we have hardship, we keep looking at each other, but we're in purpose. We're and if, in you, purpose. And if you don't feel like you have that right now, it's not necessarily something to say, this isn't fair, or we don't have this, or even say, see, I told you, we need to do stuff together. See, you should do more, or we should do more. But just ask the Lord, where are we right now? Because the Lord wants to take you there even more than you want to go there. He has that, he, he, before the foundations of the earth, Ephesians says, he picked you, he picked the people in your life, and he put you together. So he has a plan. That's right. So just say, Lord, help me to know, what can I do today? I love it when a couple shows up both wearing matching Cowboys jerseys. Why? Because it's something they have together. Listen, whatever that is, find the togethers, because that's how you have a forever together. You find things that you both like, and, and as you do, that begins to cultivate that, and it begins to create the past that the Lord then begins to reveal. Maybe you don't know what your shared purpose is together, but find together and watch those things bloom and unfold. So Amen. Good.